Uh, good morning and welcome to Chanel. We're so glad that you're here with us. I got a little whisper in my ear back there that uh, we want to make sure that we recognize the AV team. Uh, Stan Ballou made sure to draw attention to that, so we want to thank everybody that helps out around here. But uh, thankful that you're here today uh, because I'm excited about a new series that we're starting as we turn our attention as a church to Easter. I want to talk over the next probably seven to eight weeks about miracles. I, as a kid, loved the miracle stories of Jesus. They invited me into this, this world that, like, where anything was possible, where, like, whatever was broken could be restored, where, where sick people could be healed. I loved these stories as a kid. Of miracles, St. Augustine said this, that miracles are not in contradiction to nature. They are only in contradiction with what we know of nature. The the miracle stories of Jesus invite us into the world as God sees it. A world not filled with illnesses and sicknesses. A world not filled with broken people, but people that are restored, with people that are healed, and people that are given new hope. And as we turn our attention towards Easter Sunday, we're starting with a miracle that is often problematic for some. This is the story from John chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, that's where we'll be this morning. But before I jump into it, I want to tell a story that Tony Campalo tells. He tells a story about a restaurateur in Georgia who wanted to obtain a liquor license in a dry county, uh, similar to like White County where Cersei is. He wanted to obtain a a liquor license. He went to the liquor board and said, I'm applying for this liquor license. And they said, you are denied. And when he appealed, he said, even Jesus drank wine. And the story goes that the the individual that was on the board said, I know he did, and I've always been disappointed because he did it. (laughs) The story of Jesus at this wedding is problematic for some, because it's a really interesting place, if you think about it, where to start your earthly ministry. Out of all the places that Jesus could have said, I am Jesus Christ, here is the first miracle that I'm going to do. Starting it at a wedding, turning water into wine, is admittedly a weird and unique place to start. But it's where it starts, and that's why we're going to talk about it this morning. The story begins in John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Now, quick side note about Cana. Uh, I, I connect Cana to a lot of the cities in like hollers in eastern Kentucky. Uh, there's a phrase that we use a lot about those particular hollers is, you got to want to get there. That's kind of how Cana existed. It was not a, a booming metropolitan city, kind of like Jerusalem or Capernaum. Like It wasn't that. This was a small, out-of-the-way city that you would have had to, again, want to get there. But that's where this wedding has taken place. And so that's why we are, as a reader, going there. That was the whole reason that Jesus and his family and his plus 12 went. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. I already made a joke about it. Jay has already given me a courtesy laugh. It's funny, right? Like, the, the plus 12 element of this, of how many you bring in, plus 12. I think people get anxious when they see two extra kittens or children are coming to weddings, let alone 12 random dudes that are coming along with Jesus. There's some familiar connections there. I'm making a joke, but like, bringing everybody is a bold mood. But we're starting to see a little bit of what's happening in John chapter 2. There's a wedding taking place. 
His mother's there. Now, we're going to learn in just a little bit kind of the deeper role that his mother has. But Jesus and his crew, they are going, they are showing up. Now, verse 3, when the wine was gone. I don't know how many weddings you've been to, but it's probably a fun wedding with the first thing that we learn about it is that they've run out of wine. That joke didn't land. Okay. Kind of, I know where we are now. I've tested the audience enough. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, we're starting to see a little bit more about what's happening in this story. Because from this clue alone, we can determine that Jesus' mother is likely not just an attendee. I would argue that Jesus' mother is probably functioning as like a wedding planner. She knows this family. They have connections to this family. And she's also leaning into this thing that we kind of often overlook because we we make a bunch of jokes about how much wine is consumed, that this would have been a social faux pas in this community. Running out of wine at a wedding like this would have brought shame upon the family. It would have made them look like they didn't have it all together, like this wedding was not planned, which if you're the wedding planner and your job is to plan weddings, you can see why she is probably concerned that they have run out of wine. But it also, again, makes the family look unprepared, unable to host a wedding of this magnitude, whatever that may be, because we're not given a lot of details. Now, this next line has always challenged me as a boy of the Commonwealth, someone from the South, because Jesus says, woman, again, it's like, how do you read it, right? Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can read the tonage of Jesus. In my house, there's one way that'll get you slapped, right? There's another way where where Jesus may be disconnecting a little bit, which I, I think that's what's happening here. He's trying to kind of put a barrier between him and his, his mother. Because, again, the next line is, my hour has not yet come. Now, in, in the Gospel of John, anytime that we get a reference to time or hour or anything that, that kind of resembles the, the date, Jesus connect, John is connecting that to the, uh, the crucifixion. Like when Jesus is going to be betrayed, that hour of, like, he's going to die, resurrect, like that's often what it comes to, connects to, is the death of Jesus. Here, I think what's happening is Jesus is saying, I'm not ready to perform miracles. This is often called like the reluctant miracle because it appears that Jesus doesn't want to do it. And it's seen in the fact that he says, woman, why do you involve me? I think what's going on here is Jesus knows that the second that he performs a miracle, word is going to spread. People are going to hear about this man in Galilee in the small, insignificant town of Cana did something that we've never seen before. I think Jesus knows that. I think that's why when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, that's what's going on. He's saying, I'm, I'm not ready to do this because when I do it, everyone is going to know. It's going to change the world from this moment forward when I introduce the world to these divine miracles, to the way of God. In a way that no one has ever seen before, it changes everything. So I don't think it's disrespect. I don't think he's trying to get slapped by his southern mama. I think what's really going on is Jesus saying, it's it's not yet. 
But look what Mary says. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I don't know if you've got people in your life that are going to champion you on, but you need them. You need people that look at you the way that Mary looks at her son. I've often looked at this as like a disconnect where she, she turns her attention to the servants, and, and that's, that's where the text is leading us. But for a moment, add a little bit of humanity to this. Because when she says, do whatever he tells you, she is saying, I believe in you, Jesus. Remember, when, when she has Jesus, when the angel of the Lord comes to her, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and these things will be revealed to you. Mary has experienced Jesus from day one. She knows who he is. She knows what he can do. You need people like this in your corner, which is why I want to talk about the Arkansas Stadium. <laughs> it's one of my favorite places to go because it's, it's a weird place. We have both roller skating and ice skating. And it's, it's a wonderful place. If you've never been to the stadium, go have an afternoon. But look at their calendar because you can't always go, which is a fun fact about the stadium if you show up. But last year, Judah School did a family night at the Arkansas Stadium. Uh, and it was a popping night. We were playing hits from the 90s. Those kids didn't know. Uh, it was a great time. But at one point in the evening, the DJ comes out and goes to the center of the roller skating rink and says, we're going to do some races, which now it's turning into like 80s movie vibes, right? Like where you're like, we're going to race kids. Okay, that's cool. And she starts with second graders. Now, this was last year, so Judah was a second grader. I love my son. And I'm also a competitive dad. That's why I can't coach at Upward anymore. <laughs> but before I can even stop Judah, hand goes up. I, you know, I volunteers tribute, Hunger Games style. He goes out there, and he's, he's waddling out there, man. He's, he's like, I got this. He sets up like he's going to be in an Olympic race, you know, like he's like this. And the lady's like, do we got anybody else that wants to race? And I wished for, like, when, when it was happening, I wanted there just to be a crowd of boys. But only one other kid came out, a 1v1 with my son. Now, I'm a, I'm a proud dad. I love Judah. I'm competitive. So I recorded it. And Stan's got just a clip of this video, but I want you to hear how the kids, so we need the volume up, I, I want you to hear how the kids react to Judah. Let's watch it. Somebody's dad at the end of that. I don't know who that was. All right, we can cut off. Um, I want to show that video because of the Go Judah stuff. You need people like that in your corner. 
Like people that are going to cheer you on, even in a weird socially race at the stadium. If you find yourself at the stadium later today and you're racing people, you need people that are going to say, go, Jay, go. Go, Jay, go. And that's what Mary does. She believes in Jesus. Even when Jesus is hesitant. Even when Jesus is saying, not right now. Mary's saying, I, I believe in you. And so she tells the servants to do whatever he tells them to do. Now, the, the story goes, and this is why this whole jar has been here this whole time. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And this is actually from Israel. It, I, I brought it through at home. Um, but what they would do is they would walk in, normally to a temple, maybe even to a wedding, and they would, they would dip their hands into it. And they would like kind of wring their fingers like that, but they would ceremonially wash their hands. Now, the important point of this is these jars are not filled to the brim at this point. If they were filled to the brim at this point, every single time somebody would dip their hands in it, water would overflow, which is a, a crucial part of the story. And so Jesus turns our attention to these six jars that are sitting nearby. Again, not used for drinking. Think about that for just a moment. These are jars that every single day someone walks through and dips their dirty hands into to be ceremonial clean. Ceremonially clean. Next text. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. So what the servants do is they take a jar and they just start filling the water up all the way to the top. Now, I love this part of the story. Because there's something that we often miss. So quickly, we, we want to focus on how it transforms into water and wine. But I want you to see real quick that Jesus invites the servants to participate in this. This miracle would not have occurred. This miracle would not have happened if the servants had not trusted Jesus enough to pour the water into the jar. And so just a, a quick aside, if you want to see like things happen at this church, if you want to see God move, if you want to see this church grow, you may have to invite people to the church. If you want to see a ministry bloom and grow, you may have to take the first step in it. But for those miraculous things to occur, you may have to do something. And I think that's a quick lesson that we get from the story in John chapter 2. Is that Jesus is inviting these servants to pour the water into this jar. He's saying, you can be a part of this. You are invited into the kingdom of God. You don't have to sit on the sidelines anymore. You can be a part of what I'm doing here. So the text continues. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now it's so easy to just start leaning in the story, being like, oh man, there's going to be wine. And to fail to see that out of all the people that would have gotten like in trouble for this. Now there would have been social consequences if there had been no more wine for the wedding, for the master of the wedding, for the bride and the groom, for even Jesus' mother. There would have been social consequences. But the people who would, who, whose necks would have been on the line, the people who were going to be in trouble were going to be the servants. The people who drew the water out of this, this jar and brought it to this guy. 
They are the ones who are in trouble. They are the ones that are going to lose their jobs, potentially lose their lives. And they take it to him. They did so. Verse 9, And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Forever, when I've read this story, I've always focused on the wine. How they're just impressed with the wine. And I've ignored the fact that Jesus has done something here. He's taken something and transformed it into something new. How powerful is it that the individuals who realize this in verse 9, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, they knew that Jesus could transform water into wine. They knew that Jesus had the ability and the power to take what they gave to him and turn it into something new. See, I don't think this story is about wine at all. I think it just happens to be at a wedding. I think the reason that we are given this story in John chapter 2 is a, a reminder, a call, to tell us that Jesus can take whatever we give him and transform it into something new, something beautiful. But often what we do is we walk around with these jars we carry it around, and the water gets heavier, and it gets more difficult and more challenging to carry around. And the whole time, Jesus is saying, pour it out. Whatever you're holding on to me, pour it into this jar, and I can transform it into something new. One of my New Year's resolutions has been to be more transparent. And some of you are saying, we're good. Your transparent level is fine. But I, I do want to be more honest and more transparent in, the, in sermons too. And, and I was thinking this week about like, what are the things that are in my jar? Like, what are the things that I'm holding on to, carrying around, making a mess of? And if I'm honest with you right now, I've been holding on to bitterness. I've been bitter when people leave. I've been bitter when people leave and they tell me that they're leaving. But I'm also hurt when people leave and then I find out from somebody else. I've been holding on to a lot of that lately. I spent two weeks ago at, at Malibu, and the whole time I'm there, I'm comparing myself to what other people are doing, what other churches look like. Comparison is the thief of joy. But in reality, like I'm allowing those people to steal my joy. So those are the things right now today that I'm telling you I'm pouring into this jar I'm telling God, I don't want to hold on to the bitterness, to the jealousy, to the anger anymore. And I'm giving it to Jesus, and I'm saying, I'm going to pour this into the ceremonial jar, Jesus, asking you to transform it into something good, into something new. As a church, we, we don't offer invitations a lot, hardly ever. There's a lot of reasons why, but, but this morning what I want to say is this. If you ever need anything, if you ever feel that urge to come forward and you need a hug or a prayer or somebody just to be with you for a little bit, like myself and the elders, we are here for you. If coming forward isn't your thing, I'm going to be up here after church. Hug you, pray with you, whatever you need. 
Or even later this week, if you're like, hey, I'm not going to go forward to church, but I just want to talk to somebody, call me, text me, I will be there for you. But my plea with you as we start this series on miracles is this. Whatever is holding you back, whatever is weighing you down, pour it out. Give it to Jesus so that Jesus can transform it into something new. He can take your brokenness and heal you. He can take the things that are weighing you down and lift those burdens. But just like the servants, we have to be willing to pour it into the jar so that Jesus can transform it into something new. Let's stand and sing together.